One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddy Sayers. When following this war in Ukraine, it's become a very morally fraught issue. It's hard to raise questions about it without being demonized or cast as a villain. Well, someone who has been managing to do that in a sensitive and interesting way is Greek politician Yanis Varoufakis. He's been on the show twice before, in fact, so he's in danger of becoming a friend of the show, and he joins us from Athens. Hi, Yanis. Hi, Freddy. It's my pleasure to be a friend of the show. So, do you see what I mean about this being a very difficult area to talk about? Because you and I, we are speaking on the very morning that evidence has come out of genuine atrocities in Bucha, in Ukraine and other areas that appear to be completely horrific. And this comes on the back of an invasion and a war that has shocked everybody and, you know, is a, is a humanitarian crisis. The atmosphere has become almost that if you raise any questions about it, or if you ask difficult questions, you get cast as someone who in some way is pro-Putin or apologizing for the war. Have you experienced that? Immensely and painfully. But let's be clear. My pain is neither here nor there. When you have uh, atrocities, when you have murders, when you have um, a whole country uh, being devastated by Putin's armies, uh, who gives a damn about how I feel about you know my treatment by several people you know in in social media? Uh, let me, Freddie, let me make this very clear. Um, back in two thousand and one, I labeled in public, in a very official capacity, Vladimir Putin, a war criminal, back in 2001. It was in a Senate meet meeting of the University of Athens, uh, which was discussing uh, the motion for awarding an honorary doctorate to Mr. Putin, who had just become uh, president of Russia. And I was in a minority of one opposing it. I was actually, I was the only vote that was cast against awarding a doctorate to Putin. Uh, and I, um, you know, there are minutes that have recorded that statement. I called him a war criminal because of the murder of 250,000 people in Grozny, Chechnya, at the time. So, you know, having come completely out on this on a limb and having condemned Putin and having um, expressed my concern that he was going to do to Kiev or to Mariupol or to some or to many um, Ukrainian cities, what he did in, in Chechnya, it was a bit surprising to, 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 to be lambasted 
by you know, several commentators as Putin's useful idiot. And this is on the basis of you having made the argument that NATO expansion was unwelcome and is partly responsible for the situation we find ourselves in. What was the reason for them making that accusation? The, the, the most pertinent criticism that I um, received was that I was westplaining. You know, this is a version of mansplaining that I was being condescending in the way that I was telling Eastern Europeans, Europeans what's in their interest. Now, that, you know, that's a very serious accusation, uh, because we do know that mansplaining is, is um, uh, you know, something that we men but so, often do. Let me just ask, so West, Westplaining is, is, is what exactly? That's, that's suggesting that it wasn't in Eastern Europe's interest to join NATO, or so many countries to join NATO. Was, was that the context? Yeah, it was like, you know, who are you to tell us what's good for us? And why are you criticizing NATO's expansion? The majority of people in Poland, for instance, wanted to be part of NATO. Maybe a majority of people in Ukraine wanted part of NATO. Um, but off, you know, telling us that we shouldn't be part of NATO is um, condescending. Now, to this, what I responded was that... Um, you know, I'm an internationalist. I think that you have a view, or should have a view, or should have a right to have a view about what happens in my country, in Greece. Also, uh, I have never gone with the tide of majority views. I respect the majority's view. It doesn't mean that I agree with it. So in my country, and I think in yours, there, there would probably be a majority in favor of uh, the death penalty. That doesn't mean that we have to agree with the death penalty because the majority believes that. Uh, in my country, if you tell me that the majority want us to you know, believe that NATO has been good for Greece, I would disagree with the majority of, of, of my fellow citizens. And, you know, while I'm not claiming to be, to have a, the monopoly of truth, um, I do believe that as a European, as a citizen of the world, uh, I have the right to, uh, to, for instance, to comment that Vladimir Putin's authoritarian power was built on a bedrock of animosity between West, the West and Russia, and humiliated Russia, that Putin you know, exploited the humiliation of the Russians in the hands of NATO, in the hands of the International Monetary Fund. Don't forget how in the 1990s. Uh, even the reformers, you know, liberals, neoliberals in Russia were crushed by the West, by the International Monetary Fund, uh, forcing Russia into an awful um, default in 1998. That caused the life expectancy of men in Russia to drop from 75 to 58. And that's a catastrophe, it's a humanitarian catastrophe. And Putin, being a KGB strategist, utilize that pent-up frustration of Russians against the West in order to build up his uh, horrid empire. On, on the NATO point, what is your argument specifically then, in the substance? It's that the NATO expansion eastwards should not have happened, and that had that not happened, this situation would not be there? Or what's the argument? My, my, my point is this. There was an agreement between Gorbachev on the one hand and George Bush, senior Bush, Bush, not W, uh, that uh, Gorbachev would let Eastern Europe uh, go its own way, that he would let many former Soviet republics go their own way, uh, on condition that NATO would not expand eastward. And there was an agreement on this. We know that this is well established. 
also, if you look at it from you know, a rational perspective, given that Putin was pushing Russia back towards a remilitarized stance, and NATO and Russia, therefore, it doesn't matter whose fault it is, we're always going to, 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 to develop an enmity between them. Is it not a good idea to have a neutral zone between the two? Do we really want nuclear weapons, Russian nuclear weapons, and NATO nuclear weapons to be side by side? Um, for me, the, the neutrality of Eastern Europe is not a second best. It would be actually a first best. It would be good for the people of Eastern Europe, it would be good for NATO, and it would be good for Russia to minimize tensions to the, to, 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 to the extent that, that we can do that. But in any case, you know, I am perfectly willing to accept um, an Eastern European progressive who says to me that I'm wrong. What I find intolerable is the lack of tolerance that I'm being told, you know, bad off, you're a West planner to the extent that you even have an opinion about what should be happening in Eastern Europe. This is not a good foundation for, you know, Europeanism. Uh, and that I find the most uh, horrifying aspect. And also, the, you know, the, the complete distortion. Um, I'm being portrayed as Putin's uh, henchman, <laughs> which is, you know, must be very interesting news to Putin, given that I've called him a war criminal again and again. I mean, two, two summers ago, I was in Edinburgh, with one of the members of Pussy Riot on stage, condemning Putin, um, highlighting the torture that this woman suffered in the hands of his henchmen in the Siberian jails. Um, so, you know, that begins, the truth dies very quickly, but it's not just truth. It's um, a capacity that we have in the West to have a civilized, rational debate amongst ourselves. It feels more and more issues are going this way, doesn't it? Um, but but let's let's try to actually focus on the substance of this question then, and see what what are the reasonable questions to ask. Um, you know, w let's have this conversation and show that it is possible to raise these questions without being a Putin apologist. So. We've talked about the NATO issue, I understand your position there, and I no doubt a lot of people share it. We know what the arguments against are. Another issue which you've spoken about that's come out from this war is the issue of sanctions and whether the level of sanctions that are being deployed against Russia are actually counterproductive or not. Who are they really harming and who are they helping? What's your view on that? Well, it's always the case, is it not, that sanctions that are um, slapped on a dictatorial regime hurt the people, not the dictators, especially in the case of Putin. Putin has a war chest, which is quite large, and um, he doesn't care about the plight of Russian people. My organizations, the M25's uh, members in Russia are in jail. They, they, they are actively trying to work against Putin. Um, they suffer from the sanctions, whereas Putin is not suffering that much from the sanctions. But mind you, let me be clear on this. I'm not against the sanctions. Uh, watching the atrocities coming out now of the towns, the villages that the Russian army has vacated, watching the devastation on the coastal areas of uh, eastern Ukraine, I can understand why people say, look, I, well, we, we simply do not want to trade with these people that we, you know, we're going to slap sanctions, we're not going to let them have access 
to their yachts and to their money and all that. that you know, that's fine by me. I can understand that entirely. So my emphasis is not going to be placed on the inefficiency of sanctions because I am prepared to accept that even if they are inefficient, we may want to go ahead with sanctions for moral, moral reasons. We do not want to trade with these people. Well, can my I just, great just interrupt you there for one minute, which is trade with these people is different from trading with a government, isn't it? And I, I don't feel that distinction is made very often. Why should the Russian people sure. be targeted instead of the government? Should we not be focusing on sanctions that are more specifically focused at Putin, his his circle, the people who are benefiting, rather than shutting down you know, visa and bank access for ordinary Russian people? The, you know, playing devil's advocate, the opposite view is that you can't really uh, get to the oligarchs surrounding Putin and Putin's circle. The only way to get at them is to create discontent within the country, and that inevitably means in a, in a period of war that uh, common folks in Russia will have to suffer. Uh, I'm not terribly persuaded by that argument, as you can tell, but I don't think it's the main one. Um, on sanctions, I think that um, in the end, we are going to have a lot more suffering in Western Europe as a result of uh, price increases, especially electricity prices, amongst the poor in Western Europe. I believe the dollar as a reserve currency is being placed under immense pressure. So I think that the American administration is going to live to regret the cutting off of the Central Bank of Russia from the dollar payment system. But none of that matters really at this very moment, because what matters is the war. What, Freddy, what, what keeps me up at night is that people are being killed. And what I want us to work for, all of us, and let's iron out our differences. How can we have an immediate cessation of fire and a withdrawal of Russian troops? What appalls me about you know, those who um, purport to support Ukraine and who are attacking my position, is that they seem to be seriously considering the possibility that Ukraine is going to win the war and overthrow Putin. Now, that's completely pie in the sky. Anybody who believes that is jeopardizing the lives of hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians as we speak. At best, you're going to have a stalemate. We are already having signs that there is a stalemate in the face of war. Now, stalemate is terrible for the people of Ukraine because we know what Putin is going to do. He's going to do what he did in Grozny. He's going to raise to the ground areas that he needs to abandon. The Ukrainian army has been very heroic, and I applaud them for having resisted, but they cannot win the war. Do we really want this painful, murderous stalemate to go on and on and on? Do we really want to invest in a regime change in Russia that is instigated by the United States? Whenever the United States have tried the regime change, we've had complete catastrophe. Look at Afghanistan, look at Iraq, look at Libya. And this is a nuclear power. Do we want to play with this fire, <laughs> with this nuclear fire? And, and you know, let's say that you, you, know, you and I are prepared to take risks in order to overthrow Putin. But what about the people of Ukraine? We should have an immediate ceasefire. President Zelensky, to his credit, some time ago, a few, week, a few days ago, a week ago, adopted the 
a proposal that I've been making from day one, that we should have an agreement between Joe Biden and uh, Vladimir Putin, of course, with Zelensky and the European Union participating, that makes a very si simple trade, a deal. Russia withdraws from Ukraine in exchange for the, an end to the sanctions and the, a commitment by the West that Ukraine is going to be part of the West, but not part of, Na of NATO. I think that... Does that include Putin, being part of the EU? I think that, that Putin would be... He, you know, look, Putin is in a bind. Putin wants a, a way out. I think that the United States and Zelensky together and the EU must give him a way out. If he can be seen to have won a victory, that something that he can present to his own people as a victory, that is, uh, I have ended NATO's eastward expansion. You know, I went to war to stop NATO expanding, I succeeded. And he has you know, a meeting with Putin and Zelensky and they shake hands, which he can present as him being you know, out of the sin bin. Right? Uh, and the end of sanctions, I think he would take it. And I think that we have a moral duty to give him this way out. Now, I can't guarantee that he would take it, but we should, the West should offer him this way out to stop the killings. It feels like that position made a lot of sense four weeks ago or six weeks ago when this would, was just starting. Um, and fewer people would be critical of that, the idea that he had to produce an off-ramp for Putin. It feels like the situation is different now. We've had this full-scale withdrawal of Russian troops from around Kiev, which, whichever spin you put on it, looks something approaching a defeat for them, or at least not a success. Um, and yes, it does appear that militarily they have struggled. Uh, a lot of the, mm -hmm. whatever your view is of Western analysts and how much, you know, Ukrainian propaganda they are repeating or whatever, clearly it hasn't gone very well for Russia so far. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think there's this increased confidence that something like a full-scale defeat might actually be possible and that now to be talking about building off ramps for but Putin is overly kind and overly generous to him and that we should be we should be going for something bolder that seems to be the atmosphere at the moment what's your reaction to that that's that's madness there is no way that the ukrainian army is going to defeat the panoply of the russian army in mariupol in the areas between uh, crimea and donbas um, you know, all power to them if they can do it. But I don't believe that Zelensky believes that. I don't believe that anybody actually believes that. Yes, it is wonderful that uh, Putin did not walk into Kiev um, unopposed. It's wonderful that he's been given a bloody nose. This is the time to sue for peace. Look, the West did that after the awful war, civil war in Yugoslavia. You will recall that, you know, Srebrenica. We had atrocities galore in, across Bosnia, and not just in Bosnia, in Croatia, in Ukraine, in various areas that were devastated by the original uh, civil war within Yugoslavia. And yet, under the auspices of the American president, you know, the West sat down with Milosevic and they created an important peace in Bosnia which has been holding since then. Uh, was that 
a mistake? Should we have continued the bloodletting, uh, hoping that one side would completely annihilate the other side? I don't believe so. I don't believe that. Uh, mm. um, I think perhaps the, the point I'm making is exactly opposite. This is the time to sue for peace. Now that. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Putin has had a bloody nose. He's more motivated to come to the table, but somebody has to offer him that table. And Zelensky cannot do it on his own. This so, is where you need leadership from the United States of America. What does that mean in regards to arms shipments? Because there's been this incredible sending of arms from countries that have not done that for decades, such as Sweden and Germany. And there's talk now that the US is going to help ship Soviet-era tanks to um, Ukraine. There's maybe even um, new uh, airplanes that they can um, make use of. There's, a, there's talk of really escalating the amount of military hardware being sent to support the Ukraine war effort. I'm presuming from what you're saying that you'd be against that. It, should this stop? What are the motives for it? Is it sinister? What should we think about it? Look, while the Ukrainian army was resisting and while it is resisting, I think we have a moral duty to support them militarily, not me and you personally, but I, I'm not going to um, uh, criticize the West for sending weapons to the Ukrainian resistors, mm, to the resistance army of the Ukrainian people against Putin. But the whole point of resisting is to come to the point where we sue for peace. Once we sue for peace, there's no point anymore, if there is an agreement, for further escalation of armaments. But that should be part of the peace deal. So 
the moment we start negotiating, the West negotiates with Putin on the kind of arrangement that will make it possible for Russian troops to withdraw and for peace to prevail, possibly with an agreement that leaves everybody slightly dissatisfied, which is the best, the optimal agreement, where, for instance, Ukraine stays out of NATO, it stops uh, arming itself. Maybe there can be a demilitarized zone around the Russian-Ukrainian border on both sides of the border. Huh? Crimea can be discussed in the next 10 years or so. Uh, such an agreement uh, could also be um, augmented with an understanding that Ukraine would not be prevented from entering the EU. Well, that agreement goes in hand in hand with ending the, arm, the arms race on both sides. Because who knows, you know, maybe Putin tomorrow is going to be supported by the Chinese military. No, do we really want that kind of escalation? Hmm. Something very strange has happened, Yanis, because <clears throat> you're sounding very, I would say, realist uh, in this I'm discussion. So, talking about compromises, negotiated solutions. It's what we've been used to for, from the, the great powers, you know, from the, the Western powers for decades, this kind of talk. And yet something's happened quite suddenly where to speak like that is now seen as a betrayal or it's, it's, you know, it's on the side of the enemy or whatever. Zooming out a bit, what do you think has happened to the kind of liberal Western powers in recent years that they're showing their teeth more? So there's a change of atmosphere, isn't there? I think that, you know, it's what happens when war begins. Uh, we lose our head and warmongering becomes cool and uh, mainstream. Now, I have no doubt that there are cool heads around Europe who are despairing. Uh, I can see it in Germany. I can see it in within the government of the Federal Republic that there are people who are besides themselves. They are pulling their hair out if they have hair, unlike me, uh, <laughs> at, at that turn of events as you described it. But they can't speak out because if they speak out, they will be, they will be immediately brown-bitten. They will be immediately taken to task by the warmongers uh, who are having a field day. This is why it's important that we band together to bring a modicum of rationality back, back to the debate and to focus on the only thing that matters at the moment. It's not money. It's not trade. It's not natural gas. It is human lives in Ukraine. How can we stop people from dying? Because if they continue, the, you know, the, the ones who put the right of Ukraine above of people in the Ukraine and above the opportunity of Ukraine to prosper as a Western democracy, which is inside the EU and outside of NATO, uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be creating a quagmire that will ensure two things. Firstly, that thousands of people will die that could be saved and secondly that Ukraine is going to be a desert. Do you observe that the people leading this warmongering as you call it are actually liberals and that is what is new at least that is what is surprising that historically if you zoom out you would have thought that it would be either right-wingers or it'd be some sort of different group that would be the most jingoistic or the most keen for total defeats of enemies and flying the flag. And now it seems like the people who consider themselves liberals, high status, centrist, erstwhile technocrats, 
who in the pre-Trump era would never have spoken like this, have somehow become radicalized. Yes, I can see that, but it's not the first time. I remember when uh, the United States uh, were about to invade Iraq the second time under George W. That you know even left wingers, you know uh, Christopher Hitchens, a man that I admired all my life, became uh, a, a liberal imperialist. He was gung ho about invading Iraq and spreading democracy. It's not the first time. Um, if you think of the early 1960s, it was JFK, who um, initially showed the degree of enthusiasm for the Vietnam War, for taking over the, um, you know, the, the, the pursuit of um, a war within Vietnam from the French. It's, it's happened before. And you know what? I do fear that it's not just some liberal imperialists or imperial, uh, um, liberal, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't say warmongers, but supporters of victory of, you know, of war until the final victory is achieved, as if it is possible to imagine invading Moscow. I mean, think of Napoleon or Hitler. It really doesn't work. <laughs> um, I, th I fear that there's something else there, a missing ingredient. Follow the money. The United States is a very complex economy, and it's not homogeneous segments of the American economy are suffering as a result of the war with the increase in the price of oil, which I believe Silicon Valley is not happy with this because they are being put in a very difficult situation. Uh, even the banking sector, Wall Street, you, know, you mentioned Visa, MasterCard, they, they can't really be enjoying what's going on. But if you are selling uh, weapons, you are having a party. You have Olaf Scholz, the German chancellor, about to order 100 billion euros worth of American equipment, because the Germans are not making the stuff. Uh, if you are providing fracked oil and gas from New Mexico, from Minnesota, from uh, Texas, um, you are looking at the new deals that are being struck between the European Union and the United States for LNG, liquefied natural gas. And you are having your hands with glee because um, what was a dying industry in the United States now, now suddenly has been given a huge lease of life. So it's I mean, this is not a conspiracy or anything like that. I know, but, but you, people, have, people, some people, people, liberal imperialists, and you've got people that are going to make a lot of money out of this liberal imperialism. And you bring these together, you have a very powerful constituency in favor of maintaining the conflict. Some people probably a lot of people will listen to what you've just said and think that it is verging on conspiracy in that it's, it sounds, it's Chomsky, it's the military industrial complex, it's evil Americans in suits sitting around board tables no, deciding to create wars in order to profit from no, no. defense no companies. Not, not, they would... Nothing of what I said is conspiracy. It's a truth that, you know, if you're selling arms, you're making a lot of money. If you're selling oil and gas that is fracked in the United States, you're making a lot of money. We know that, right? I'm not saying that... But it's, it's not necessarily causation, though, is it? I mean, it's one thing to no, observe no, exactly. that. Those people it are is, not necessarily in charge of making the decisions. Of course, because, because you know, why didn't they do it 10 years ago? You know, they, they would have had an interest in doing this 10 years ago. They didn't have... No. Something happens. You have madman Putin choosing to... It was... 
even if NATO created circumstances for Putin to be powerful, <laughs> in my view, but it was Putin's criminal choice to, uh, to you know, to invade in Ukraine, um, and that gave rise to a genuine resistance movement and military resistance by the Ukrainians, which I applaud. And then on, you know, on the coattails of these developments that have nothing to do with them, people come in there with particular access to grind, political ones, and, you know, financial agendas. So the whole thing acquires, you know, magnifies its momentum. This is not a conspiracy theory. That is, I think, a solid rational analysis of what's going on. In that context, and this is going to get us into dangerous territory, in that context, how should we treat uh, the very popular and successful president of Ukraine? Because he has been incredibly effective at generating international support. He does daily speeches. They put out very uh, moving social media content every day. And he is being a very effective publicist for the Ukraine cause. Some people would say that he's trying to get more military involvement from the West and that is actually a campaign to escalate and a campaign to bring the West directly involved into the war. Do you think that's true? Should we support it? Should we be skeptical of it? Should we be critical of him? What's your view of what he's doing? We should be critically supportive. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I've followed Zelensky's career. Um, it was interesting that he was elected on a platform for making peace with Moscow and for sidelining the oligarchic and uh, ultra-right wing elements within Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So we have to note that. Uh, it's also true that he failed in doing this to a very large extent. The oligarchs that he was uh, going to wage or against uh, effectively had him. His uh, reign has not been easy and the oligarchs managed to maintain their control over the country against Zelensky. Even some would say forcing Zelensky to succumb. The neo-Nazi Azov battalion in Mariupol and so on maintained their swastikas and uh, um, I'm sure that, uh, that Zelensky wanted to get rid of them, but he couldn't. Uh, but none of this matters because when the country is invaded, I feel a natural obligation and duty to support the people who've been invaded and to support their leader, even if it's somebody I would not have voted for had I been one of them. It is perfectly natural for him to be calling upon the rest of the world to come to their assistance uh, through a no-fly zone, through any kind of intervention. I'm sure that he would have loved it if NATO waltzed in. Uh, even though he, I'm sure he understands that that would bring us on the precipice of a nuclear catastrophe. But it is his job to ask for us to step in. But to his credit, he's done something else as well. He's embraced the neutrality solution and he is participating in discussions with uh, Russians and, and, and negotiations. Uh, so I think that he's come out of this uh, with considerable degrees of credit from, you know, in my eyes. What I think is essential is for the United States, because let's face it, the European Union is a figment of our imagination. We, we are so fragmented, we are a non-player, really. Uh, it's only the United States that, that can provide Zelensky 
with the backing he needs in his negotiations with Putin. Because an agreement between Zelensky and Putin, just on their own, is not worth the paper that it's written on. But an agreement involving the United States and the European Union, uh, th think, think of Northern Ireland. How, was, how were their troubles sorted out? It was under the uh, aegis of the United States. They had a senator there hmm, monitoring the, the negotiations between the, the nationalists and the Protestants, with Dublin and London participating. In the end, there was a broad agreement. The European Union did what it can do, put the money in. <laughs> so imagine something similar. You know, the United States and Putin coming to an agreement with the European, European Union agreeing to pour huge quantities of investment into a post-war Ukraine, with Ukraine neutral, that's Zelensky's, that would be, I think, Zelensky's ideal outcome. I think what, what people object to about that is that it has the whiff of kind of men sitting around a table, the great powers carving up, you know, Yalta conference or whatever, people making decisions for smaller countries over their heads. And what the people of Ukraine want, or the people of the Eastern European countries, is kind of neither here nor there because their voices don't count. That's, I think, the objection to that kind of big power deal. Well, two comments on this. Firstly, it would not be, be uh, on, 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 it would not bypass the people of Ukraine. Zelensky has already proposed this solution, and Zelensky is their elected leader. Zelensky has also said that they should go to a referendum. I have no doubt that if there is such an agreement, once there is peace and once there is uh, a cessation of uh, conflict, then there can be a referendum. Well, you have and experience of those, Yanis, so we don't know Indeed. if... And you know what? My own country would not exist. My own country would not exist if we didn't have such an arrangement back in the late 1820s, because, you know, we were under the Ottomans in, you know, for 400, 500 years, we had our own revolution, our own resistance against the Ottoman armies. In the end, how did Greece come about? It came about because the great powers, the English, the French, and the Russians, uh, in the end, sat down with uh, the Ottomans after a, a defeat of the Ottoman and particularly the Egyptian fleet off the coast of the Peloponnese. Uh, and they sat down and they said, okay, Greece becomes an independent state. It's a kind of buffer zone between the Ottoman Empire and the West. And we were given a chance to exist. Now, this is not an ideal solution. As I said, the solution that is going to spare hundreds of thousands of lives and which will give the opportunity to the Ukraine to grow as an independent um, Western democracy, the agreement that will do that will leave everybody dissatisfied. Slightly dissatisfied. Well, yeah, that's real politic. The alternative is, you know, an ongoing conflict for the next 10 years in Afghanistan, you know, in the periphery of Europe, that uh, poisons politics across Europe and which leaves Ukraine, especially Eastern Ukraine, a devastated country. At best, a non-agreement would freeze that conflict into a large-scale version of Cyprus. Do the people of Ukraine want that? I don't think so. Let me ask you to conclude for us. What, what is your message to people who are, whether it's on their social media feed or around the dinner table or as they're walking down the street and they're seeing Ukraine flags in all the windows, 
people who want to be good moral citizens, who object to the invasion of Ukraine and are worried about all of the suffering there, but who feel deeply uneasy about something about the West's reaction and involvement and the kind of whiff of jingoism in the air. What should those people do and how should they react when they come face to face with these people who cast them as Putinistas? Be kind to them. I don't think that we should antagonize anybody these days because there's so much antagonism. Uh, maintain your cool. Support the Ukrainian resistance against Putin's armies. Do not succumb to the sirens of militarism and um, perpetual war. And always keep your eye on the trophy, which is immediate peace, withdrawal of Russian troops, a neutral, democratic Ukraine that we all help get back up on its feet. Yanis Varoufakis, thank you so much. Thank you, Fred. That was Yanis Varoufakis, former Greek finance minister and progressive politician of the left, who I think proved there that it is possible to raise important questions about the West's response to the crisis in Ukraine without becoming a mouthpiece for the Putin regime or whatever else people get called. So I think it's quite an important position that he is sketching out there that people will be interested in. Thanks to him and thanks to you for tuning in. This was Unheard. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com